12th chapter of Hebrews, read about the first three verses. When I usually tell people where I was born, they look at me like I'm silly. I tell them I was born in Maunee, Illinois. A lot of people don't think there is a Maunee, but I have one seat of people here that can prove to you there is a Maunee. I want them to stand up. Just stand, stand right up. These people are from Moni, Illinois, <laughs> and there is a Moni. Let's give them a hand. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Just remain standing there. That one that just sat down real fast is my father-in-law. The one next to him is my mother-in-law. She looks older than I do, don't she? And I'm trying to place the young lady. All right. Sister Marguerite Rozier, Brother Raymond Rozier, a neighbor of mine for a long time. We just appreciate you folks driving all the way here to the end of the world just to worship with us. <laughs> now, see, Butch says there's a Moni now. He would never admit it before. Now I got the proof ahead, and he, he agrees with it. It's a big town. It's got good people in it anyway. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of God, right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest you be a text from the third verse. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest you be wearied and faint in your minds. Heavenly Father, as we stand in your divine presence, your name known among man. And we realize that we are too small and insignificant and unable to do anything. But with you and through you and by the power of God, we with the Apostle Paul say we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. So give us strength, Father, and give us thy word, and give us the unction upon the anointing that thou hast already given us, that we might be able to speak with truth and purity thy precious word. us not being a novice, was fully aware that as we come to the end of time, even in his day there was cause for our saints of God that have one time embraced the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ to become weary and go back into the secular religion or whatever they might have had or back into the world. And the Apostle Paul, knowing this and knowing that as we enter into the last days that men's hearts and minds would become weary, we're living in a wearisome hour and wearisome day. Time uh, seems to go on, and it just seems like that the more we go, the wearier humanity gets. And Jesus was aware that things would be as such as we entered into the last days that without Jesus Christ, humanity could not cope. And here speaking to those who know Jesus as well as those who don't know him, 
And he said, when the weariness begins to settle upon your life, when you begin to wonder, ask Christians whether you can make it or not, when you begin to sense that there is a weakness on your part, and you begin to worry as to what your status is in Jesus, the Apostle Paul tells us to consider Jesus. And tonight I would like to present him as best I could for consideration for the sinner, for the saint of God, for those with or without the baptism of the Holy Ghost. I would like to present him in such a way that when you become weary, you would go into your closet, lift up your eyes on your job, wherever you're at, in your automobile, and consider him that suffered such contradictions of sinners against himself, so that we can measure our life on the things that is happening to us against that which he endured because God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. First off, we need to consider him mentally, his suffering mentally. And let's consider now Jesus in his humanity. For he was all man as well as all God. And he suffered mentally, physically, spiritually the same as any of you and I would suffer. After all, if he did not, he would not know what we're going through with. He would not be able to speak in our behalf. He would not be able to say, I know how you feel. But he knows how we feel. Because the Bible tells us he suffered in like manner even as we. And yet without sin. Why? That we might have salvation. That it might come unto us. And I think mental suffering and mental torment is probably the greatest thing that any of us can suffer. Physically, I believe that we could suffer almost anything knowing it was for the name of Jesus. Uh, in the dark ages, individuals suffered physically. They knew that they were holding up for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we enter into the last days, there's no doubt that we ourselves will suffer physically, and the greatest suffering will be the mental torment and the mental anguish prayed by the devil upon our minds to try to confuse them, to try to make us weary in well-doing, and try to make us lose what God has so graciously and preciously given us. Now, Jesus knows what it is to suffer loneliness and agony. I think you're aware of his trip whenever he went to the Garden of Gethsemane, took his three disciples with him to help him pray only to return three times and find them asleep. This must have tortured Jesus mentally uh, quite a bit. And I look around, and many times you and I seem to look around, we wonder where everybody's at. We wonder if we've got a friend. Yesterday we had one, today we don't have one. And when we get in that position, let's remember that Jesus was followed by thousands by the miracles of the fishes and the loaves. Let us remember also that one day he declared who he was, which was the eternal God, and he was left with much of twelve, and he said, will you go away also? And finally, one of those was a devil, and finally, whenever he needed mankind seemingly the most, he came and said, in my mental time and suffering, I don't want to die. 
I want to live. He asked God to let this cup pass from him if it was possible. And eventually he said, not my will, but thy will be done. And as he looked around, going into the last hour, he wanted his closest friends to go that last step with him. Took them there and set them there and said, watch with me just one hour. And returned and they were asleep and woke them up and shook them and set them out again and said, could you not watch with me one hour? And eventually he come to them and said, sleep on now, the hour is come. I want you to realize the torture, the middle suffering and so on. And Jesus had no man to stand with him in that hour. But nevertheless, the Almighty God, true to his eternal purpose, saw that he was not alone. Never is mankind alone. The Bible tells us somewhere in the ninth chapter of John, about the 31st verse, that he was sustained, not by human hands, and it said, There appeared unto him Elijah and Moses in glory and spake of his decease. What I'm trying to say by that is when the hand of man is too frail to reach us, when the hand of man can't comfort us, you need to always realize that we have a Christ of Calvary that is always there with the sustaining strength and grace and glory of an almighty God. He is our God and beside him there is none other. And when we get in this condition, we need to consider him. Consider Jesus who suffered for every one of us. Whether we have attempted to know him or not, he suffered for us. And then physically, how that man suffered. The Bible says when he was praying in the garden of Gethsemane, great drops of sweat was it were, great drops of blood falling down to the ground. It was for a long time that man looked at that scripture and said it is not possible for man to sweat blood. And they have discovered in the medical field now that there is such a thing called hematidosis, which the small capillaries burst inside and the blood enters into the sweat glands. And this is caused by extreme anxiety, extreme fear, and more than anything else, extreme concern about somebody else. Now, I don't believe Jesus was all that anxious. I don't believe he was all that afraid. And I do believe he had great concern about my life and the needs of my life insomuch that when he was there he was so desirous of doing the will of the man not my will but thy will be done he was considering me his concern for me was so great that he sweat blood that day and Sinus can prove that it can be done I wonder sometimes when we look at him and uh, when we begin, begin to get physically weak and down so to speak if we couldn't just look up and and consider Jesus. His concern for humanity is staggering. When I look at it sometimes and look at the womb of mankind and what he is and what he was and realize that he came to justify the ungodly. That is a staggering statement. He came to take the vilest sinner and clean him up and make him whole. And we need to consider him who was so concerned about us that he was willing to suffer the anguish and the torment. 
deserted by friends, many of us are, as we look around in this life, and you consider the weariness of Jesus now, when you become weary, he was met by his friend and by his pupil of three years and a half, and he run up to him and give him the kiss of betrayal. That must have hurt the master. He being human must have realized that this was what it was. But you know what his words were and I love him for that. He says, why are you here, friend? Why are you here, friend? To Jesus, Judas was his friend unto the end. And I like there's something about the makeup of that man that makes me love him, that makes me reach out and say, thank God for Jesus and for the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ and tell all of humanity that when we become weary, don't give it up, don't lay it down, but consider Jesus who suffered bread and died for us. Consider him. There's some way, if we can, get past the mask of humanity, innate characteristics of the Adamic nature, and put ourselves on the Holy Ghost, if we can, and thus consider what it took for Jesus to die for us. I think we've heard the blood. I think we've heard about Jesus' crucifixion. I think we've seen about His blood. And I don't think we've ever stopped long enough to realize... What a price that was paid to allow you to sit here and taste of the wonderful things of God. I know I can't imagine it. I look at it sometimes and see my wife before me, see what it used to be, and even see right now. And if it was not for the righteousness of Christ, I could have nothing but self-righteousness. wasn't for the blood of Christ, I could have nothing but sin. If it wasn't for the fact that He justified me when I was unjust, He took my place, clothed Himself in the robes of righteousness, and then clothed me, took His coat off, so to speak, like this, and said, Here, son, you need to get in the presence of God. You put that coat on, and you can go there. Hallelujah. Every one of us can slip on the coat of righteousness. And by the way, I have done that because I wanted to take my coat off. Praise God. It's getting hot up here. Praise the Lord. Let's consider him in his concern then for Peter. Let's just follow him just a little while. What do you say? And give me time to kind of breathe around. It's uh, kind of hot up here and my throat's a little bit raw. But let's consider his weariness when Peter reached out when he was about to take him. And Peter reached out and drew his sword and cut off the ear of the high priest. And you say, well, what is there about that that would weary Jesus? Well, probably the same reason he gets weary with us. It's because when he looked at that, he knew right away that it become very apparent to him that Peter had understood very little or none of the thing concerning his death, burial, and resurrection that he had spoken of to him for three years and a half. Now, I suppose maybe we ought to place ourselves in the place of the Apostle Peter, and no doubt God might be weary with us, a lot of us here tonight. Because he's spoken to us numerous times on numerous occasions, almost in every congregation of every church, and not very many of us fully understand the depths of the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have accepted it. We know it's a reality. But rather than just accept something, if I can understand it, I would like to. 
I would like to know exactly the feelings of Jesus. And the only way I can is to know that he was human. It's to know that he felt like I felt. It's to know that when, when he was rebuffed and he felt something inside. When he was mocked, he couldn't laugh about that because he felt inside. And when they smote him, he felt it. And when they ridiculed him, he felt it because he was humanity. And if we become weary in this day and hour that we're living in, if we become weary with all of these insults, let's look up and consider Jesus. Consider him in all of his ways. Let's consider his weariness when he was condemned unjustly, mocked, betrayed, and finally deserted. Early in the morning, he's brought before the Sanhedrin testified against by false witnesses, condemned and mocked. Jesus, King of kings and the Lord of lords, your Savior and my Savior stood alone. Nobody there to succor him. Nobody there to lend a helping hand. Nobody there to testify for him. He stood alone. And whenever that testifies to you and I tonight, and if it really comes down to it, and the help and grace of Almighty God, we ourselves can stand alone. And God has made it sure that we don't have to, because He's placed us in a body as it has pleased Him. And we need to learn how to rely upon our brothers and our sisters. Let us consider Him when we feel like that we're condemned unjustly, while the world heaps unjust criticism upon us, when the world mocks us for who we are and what we are, and when we're betrayed by our closest friends, and finally when we're deserted, let's consider Jesus as early in the morning He was taken before by that crowd, condemned and mocked. He sees Peter, His most trusted disciple, finally denying Him three times. Standing there, Peter, who is that? I don't know who he is. Said it again. Oh, you're welcome. You're one of them. I don't know the man. And finally he cursed and said, I don't know anything about him. Oh, it's easy to condemn Peter. It's easy to say, how could he do that? And how often when Jesus has asked us to be a witness, and we more or less said, I don't know who he is. I don't know the man. If we're weary in all of this, he was condemned and mocked, saw Peter falling afar off, denied him three times. Then finally the Sanhedrin leads him among the cheers and laughter to Pilate. This is our Savior I'm talking about. Pilate looks at him, turns him over, and sends him to Herod. And Herod finally sends him back to Pilate. And Jesus hears the multitudes at one time crowd as they uh, rode in on a donkey into the city and they strewed palm leaves in his uh, place there and as he came into that city what did they cry about that man? They said, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna to the highest, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the King of the Jews. But he hears that same crowd say, Give us Barabbas, crucify him, crucify him. Friend, if you're betrayed, you consider Jesus. Nobody has ever underwent the betrayal that Jesus has went through with. The crowd mocks and they laugh and they scoff and they say, crucify him. Who do you want us to turn loose to you? Give us Barabbas. Barabbas was an insurrectionist. Barabbas was a murderer. And Jesus was guilty of but one thing, and that's for the love of all creation. Oh yes, they could have found him guilty of that. 
But they didn't try him for that. They tried him and condemned him. Barabbas is released and Jesus is crowned with thorns, beaten, spit upon, smitten, and led forth to be crucified. These people didn't know who they had. They wasn't aware of what they were doing because Jesus' cry on the cross was forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. Pilate wrote on something and said, This is the King of the Jews. And the crowd came and said, Don't put that on there. Put that he says he's the King of the Jews. That Pilate probably knew something and had an insight that they didn't have. Pilate said, What is written is written, and I'm going to leave it there, for truly this was who he was, the King of the Jews. The Bible says he came unto his own, and his own received him not. And as many as received him, gave him power to become the sons of the living God that reaches down and embraces every individual, man, woman, poor girl, in this congregation tonight. If you don't know him, if you don't think you can know him, consider Jesus. Consider him who suffered, bled, and died. And I wonder tonight, is there somebody here that's not utilized the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ? If you haven't, he has died in vain for you. And certainly you don't want that to happen. A gracious son of God, a man that came to suffer, to take my place, he arrives with a panting, snarling, sadistic mob at Golgotha. All the way there, they were hissing, snarling like dogs. Oh, what sadistic move! Could humanity invent this? No. This was not humanity. This was sadistic powers. The powers of the devil against that which God gave to our lost and dying world. He did not want to see him here. But he was here. And there he was at Golgotha. They offer him the drink that stupefies him and he refuses it. And if it's not bad enough, the Bible says, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. And there my Savior was, and his lips was found no guile. And he was hanging there, cursed, as far as the world was concerned. And indignities upon indignities, they stripped him and left him hang there. And more than anything else, they crucified him between two thieves, he who was not worthy to die. He who did no sin, he that did nothing but help and healed the sick and raised the dead and was a friend of the poor, unto the nameless he gave a name. I'm talking about our Jesus tonight. I'm talking about our Savior tonight. I'm talking about the one that is in your life and mine that we need to consider him in every aspect of our humanity. He utters the first cry, My God, Father, he says, as he looks down in his misery, mental torment, and physical torment. I remember he was human. He had every reason to curse every one of them. 
had ever reason to damn their soul right at that very minute? Yes, he did. And he looked down at them. No doubt tears filled his eyes. As he looked at them and I said, before I'll say again, he utters his first cry before he says anything else. He says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. They don't know what they're doing. Have a just reason to call the curse of God upon them and damn their souls to hell. And I'm talking about the Master who came that day 2,000 years ago and saw the needs of all humanity and willingly took our sins upon His own shoulders and there they were nailed to the tree. Cursed for us. Blasphemed for us. Ridiculed for us. And finally died for us. Consider Him. Get a glimpse of Him if you can at all. And then He looks down and the soldiers, all the time He's saying, Father, forgive them. The soldiers, in their sadistic manner, was parting His garments and gambling for His robe. The Jews mocked Him, looked up at Him, and said, You saved others. Yourself you cannot save. We've said it often, but I want to say it again. What they said was prophecy, and they didn't know it. How truly, if he had saved himself, he could have saved no one else. And I'm glad he didn't save himself. I'm glad he saved me instead. I should have been crucified. I should have suffered and died. And he stood in my place. Endured the shame and reproach. And then left the Apostle Paul to speak to the Hebrews and to you and I and say, when you become weary, consider Jesus. For no man ever suffered like that man. One of the thief rails on him. The other looks at him and believes him. The other one then looks out in a second cry as he looked at that thief and said, Thou shalt be with me in paradise. Our faith, faith in a God. I look at that thief and I can understand the one. I can understand how in his agony and in his pain and in his predicament, I can understand why he would rail the one that is supposed to be a creator of all mankind and the Savior of the world. I can understand why he looks at him and rails him because after all, he's in torment, he's in suffering. But I find it hard to understand this one in his agony and in his torment looking up and said, we deserve to be where we're at. But this man did nothing to deserve what he is. And the love of Jesus embraced him. And he said, you will be with me in paradise. Faith on the cross, faith during suffering ought to be a lesson to every parcel of humanity as we follow after Jesus. Even in his weariness, how weary he was, times going by, and even in his weariness. You know, this ought to be a good lesson for you young people. Many of you don't know how to honor your father and your mother. And this is an age, a generation, where there is no honor of the father and mother. And I want you to follow. You say, Jesus is true, and that's the one you're going to follow. And I want you to look what this man did. 
He knew he owed his mother something. And even in his physical weariness and mental weariness and torment, all the nails pierced his hand and the crown of thorns upon his head and he was suffering. He looked down and he saw his mother and he said to John, you take her. He remembered his mother. Didn't forget his mother. Now a lot of you young people, when everything is going good, you can't remember mom and dad. If you want to consider Jesus in this area, you need to consider who He was. He was obedient to His mother almost at all times. And He cried out, That's my Savior I'm talking about. That's the one I'm talking about. And finally, darkness covers the earth from the sixth to the ninth hour. I've often wondered, haven't you, why darkness covered the earth? Why was this so? And then just like the thunderbolt, it hit me one time. Because we, who are human, could not see those that were standing there, could not have stood what was perpetrated during those three hours. For it was then and there that He took the sins of all humanity, those that had long since been dead and knew, and knew nothing about Him, knew nothing about His blood, only to look for the Messiah. And He saw me today, and He saw you, and He saw those in the future, and every sin was heaped upon that frail body, and humanity could never have looked at that and survived. How awful it must have been, insomuch that God hid it from the face of everybody there. And for three hours, this man suffered in darkness without a friend just so he could bring salvation to you and to me and yet we reject him and refuse him. I'm talking to you tonight. I'm bearing my soul to you tonight. I'm trying to reach you tonight with the need of considering Jesus. Oftentimes times in our sickness we consider the doctor. Sometimes in our mental failings of our health, we consider a psychiatrist. And many times we just consider nobody but ourselves. And the Hebrews is crying out, consider Jesus. For every infirmity of the body, infirmity of the body, for every sickness, for every disease, for every pressure upon us, consider Jesus. Consider Jesus. From the ninth, sixth hour to the ninth hour, three long hours, Sin of all humanity placed upon him. And the ugliness and awfulness of all of that could not be imagined by man. And during that time, the fourth cry came from him, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? You see, Jesus... ...to suffer all of this for that one which sent him stabilized him. But now in the darkness, God turns his back upon this who is laid in sin and became sin for us. And he turns his back on him and he cries, Why hast thou forsaken me? God could not look upon sin. Now he's too just and too holy. But for a moment while Jesus was bearing your sins and mine on Calvary, God turned his back as it were for a moment and Jesus cried. He knew the feeling of desolation. He knew the feeling of being left by himself. He knew what it was like 
you and I sometimes bearing our own sins it becomes too heavy and what about millions and millions and trillions and billions of sins heaped upon you in one short moment you had to atone for those they were nailed there finally in his agony the fifth cry he said I thirst I thirst the sixth cry he says it is finished it is finished the seventh cry Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. I want you to know he was so inbred with life. And he was so lively. And the Bible tells us that if he had not have given up the ghost and said and dismissed his spirit, he could have lived forever. Because he had already said, you can't take my life from me, and I will give it. Hallelujah. Nobody took it from him. They didn't take it from him when they crucified him. He willingly laid it down for you and for me. Every individual, every solitary individual, man, woman, boy, girl, that's under the sound of my voice, has been bought and paid for by the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we need to consider that. You don't live in the luxury that you're living in now, free from sin without a price to be paid. And it was paid that day. Weary. Physically weary, mentally weary, spiritually weary, nevertheless, with his mission accomplished, our Lord dismisses his spirit. My Bible tells me when he did, the veil of the temple, and it tells sometimes how many horses it would have taken to tear that veil in two. I don't have it right now, but I used to have it took several horses on each side to rip that veil in two. And yet the Bible tells me how when he died and dismissed his spirit, a veil of the temple was rent from top to bottom and signified a new and a living way into Jesus. Aren't you glad tonight that you don't have to purchase a pigeon and have the blood of bulls and goats or whatever and take it to the high priest and let or take it to the priest and let him take it to the high priest to atone for your sin that you have access to the very throne of grace and mercy tonight. You can come to him and say, God, forgive me of my sins. Help me, God, help me. You don't have to go through a priest because Jesus is forever our high priest after order of Melchizedek. And there he stands, a veil of the temple, a new and a living way, presented to man to come to the face of his maker. When prone to faint in our weariness, let's consider him. Let's consider him well. This is a replica, of course. Probably just almost as crude as that tree was. When he laid it upon his back, he had been beaten unmercifully. I've said it, and can I tell it again? Just before God gave me my healing, and I did get one, God gave me a new heart on 1975. Took away the weirdness, took out the old one, and put in the new one. No incision whatsoever. Just did it by the mighty power of God. 
Uh, just before that, about two weeks, I was ministering, came and sat down on this altar. I looked right down this aisle right here. And so as it were, I didn't know what I was in the body or out of the body. And as it were, I saw something appear right there in the, in the aisle and come my way. And at first I looked and I didn't really know what it was. And finally it got close to me. You know what I saw? I didn't see the Christ of glory. I didn't see him without anything whatsoever on him. And I saw the Christ of suffering. I viewed him and the closer he got, I saw a face that was bruised. I saw spit upon his, uh, upon his beard, spit upon his beard. I saw a crown of thorns pressed tightly down upon his head and rivers of blood running down on each side. And the closer he got to me, the more ungodly he looked. Of course, he didn't have the form at all of a man. And my Bible tells me he had no form of comeliness and I should desire him. And there was something about that man that I loved. I loved him. I loved him. I loved him. Why? Because he was in my heart. And the closer he got, the more I saw my God. I, I can even see it now. How could anybody treat another individual the way this man had been treated? Smitten and bruised, blood running every place, crown of thorns, followed by a jeering mob, snarling sadistic dogs. Yes, they were after his blood. And they wanted his blood. And I'll tell you who got his blood. That's you and I, thank God, and all creation. He willingly gave it. Hallelujah. It was poured out that day for you and for me. And one day, 27 years ago, I was recipient of that thing. And then not only that, I was recipient of the well of living water that flows in my soul. The closer he got to me, I thought, Lord, you're going to heal me, aren't you? See, I'd suffered for eight years. Everybody prayed for me and I'd got a touch and I thought, surely, surely one of these days I can claim it. But the doctors kept telling me I was dying and that I would die before I saw my 50th birthday. And you can verify this any time you want to. And the doctor that told me that died at the age of 47. I'll soon be 54 and I'm still very much alive. And I'm not bothered a bit by any of that thing that used to try to destroy me. I'm telling you this evening God is alive. I'm telling you He is a reality. I'm telling you that He cares. And I'm telling you that He died on that cross for you and for me. And there He saved my soul. And a long time, or not a long time, but a short time before He saved my soul on Calvary, He healed my body as the stripes of the cat of nine tails literally lacerated His back to pieces. And every time that went down, that was for the healing of my body. Of course, Isaiah cried it out, and then Peter cried it out, as he said, By His stripes ye were healed. I watched Him. And I reached out for him and he just went right by me. My heart sank and I thought, God, what kind of a creature I am or a worm? What have I done so awful that you would torment me like this and appear? And then I just watched him in a voice. said, turn around and look at him now. I turned around in all my years of ministry. I'd never imagined anything like this. It's a sight that I can see yet tonight. I turned around and I saw a back. 
The way the Bible describes it simply lacerated the ribbons. There wasn't one piece of flesh on there that hadn't been torn. And blood and pus and, and whatever uh, insects that was possible was upon that thing. And I looked at it and I almost got sick. And then the Bible cries out and that voice cried out to me and said, By His stripes ye were healed. I don't know why I couldn't hold to that right then. Two weeks later, that's exactly what happened. As I lay in my bed early one morning, sometime between 7 o'clock and 11 o'clock, the Holy Spirit of God came in and placed within this whole body a new heart, thank God, and is beating and functioning as good as one of a 20-year-old. And I thank God for it. I consider Him in the highest. I consider my God because He understands me and loves me. Would He do that for humanity? Well, He did it for me, and I'm no better than any of He can heal me. He can heal you. He wants to. Terry's back was lacerated to ribbons. Sadistic hand of man has slapped him and shoved him and pushed him. Consider Him. The Bible goes on to say you haven't suffered in the blood yet. But all He did... He did, taken by giant hands of soldiers, slapped down upon a cross or a tree, probably as rough as that, and thrown down, thrown down by those cruel hands while the cross lay there. And a nail was placed in the palm of his hand and the sound of a hammer. And a little squish of blood and the first nail pierced the hand of my Savior. And his only crime was loving too much. They stretched the other one out and held the fingers. And the sound of the hammer and the second nail entered the palm of his hands. Oh, it's gruesome, sure it is. And we ought to get an insight on what it was. Because he was suffering there. That should have been you. That should have been me. And he was there. Thank God taking your place and mine. He placed his feet together. The sound of the hammer again. And both of them was nailed to the cross. And giant rough hands raised that, crossed its height, and jammed it down into the ground in his flesh tore. Consider Jesus. Consider Jesus. Consider Him. He didn't have to be there. Cry after cry was made. And yet humanity had not got their freedom. Humanity hadn't been delivered yet and wouldn't have until he cried that cry. It is finished. Jesus had to say it's a finished work. And finally, after the hours of darkness and much torment, he raised himself up upon that pain probing in his legs, raised himself up from that zigzag position typical of a dying man on the cross. And he filled his lungs with one last breath. And with that one last breath, he said, it's finished. Salvation become available to all humanity. And it's yours. You like to consider Him every aspect of His humanity. I'm talking about tonight
one that could have called 10,000 angels any time he wanted to to take him from the cross. But instead, he endured the cross, despising the shame and for the joy that was set before him. What joy? What joy? Do you ever consider the life of Jesus? Had he never lived anything for his personal joy? And he didn't look forward to any personal joy outside of one thing. The joy that was set before him. What made him endure the cross? What made him despise the shame? I'll tell you. You and I was the joy that was set before him as he saw a multitude of sin erased from the lives of humanity whom death had claimed and locked up and there was no hope whatsoever and my master took the keys of death, hell, and the grave and opened it up and said now you have life and have it more abundantly. That's the joy. The joy is when one saint of God dies there's joy in heaven. The joy fulfilled is going to be when the holy living church of God is translated and invited into the kingdom of God. That's the joy that was set before him. That's why he endured the cross. That's why he despised the shame. That's why he suffered. That's why he allowed my sins and yours to be heaped upon his frail shoulders. It's because the joy of one Christian, when one soul comes in, the Bible says there's joy in heaven. Hallelujah. Have you considered him tonight? Have you considered him in his weariness and in yours? And I'm going to ask my wife to sing just a portion of, of, of a song. And I want you to listen. And while you're listening, I want you to think in your heart. Have I appreciated my Jesus like I should? Have I accepted the blood of Christ? Am I a Christian? Do I really appreciate what He's done for me? And if you don't know Jesus, tonight there's an altar. And the blood has already been shed. It's already been availed itself to you. And if you need the Holy Ghost tonight, I want you to get it tonight. Or if you're just weary, You've had a hard road. You don't know sometimes whether it's worth it or not. And you've contemplated a lot of times, oh, what's the use? Why don't I just quit?